Thank you for joining us today for the Westside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Westside Baptist Church exists to make disciples of others and nurture a growing love for God. For more information about us, please visit wbcfamily.org. And now, here's Pastor Frank with today's message. We are continuing our series, Joy No Matter What, as we take a look at the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. I've entitled today's message, Partakers of Grace, and I think it'll make sense as we dive into today's passage, and so let's just jump right in. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, and it is there that the Apostle Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, I think the first thing that we can see there is, by the grace of God, the Apostle Paul was Southern, because he says, I feel this way about you all. Now, uh, in my translation, that's uh, contracted. It's just Y-A-L-L, y'all. It is right for me to feel this way about y'all because I hold you in my heart. Now, actually, I want to put this into context because when he says it is right for me to feel this way, he's actually referring back a few verses before. Let me uh, bring you up to speed here and ask you to put on your thinking caps and remember, reflect back on a couple of weeks ago in a previous sermon where we covered some of the previous verses. But what he said in verse 3 and forward is, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then you may remember last week we looked at how Christ will bring that which He has started to completion. And so verse 6 is kind of a little interlude there because he is, Paul is expressing to the church at Philippi about his affection for them, about his gratitude for them, his appreciation. And then verse 6 really is a qualifier It describes those believers at Philippi that that which God has begun in them, He will complete it. But then we pick up again in verse 7 where he continues this original thought of giving thanks and, and expressing gratitude for them. He says, it is right for me to feel this way. It is right for me to be thankful to God for you. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he is thankful to God in all his remembrance of them. And always in every prayer he says that I give thanks for you, making my prayer with joy. And so he says in verse 7, our text today, referring back to that, he says it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. It is right. Now that phrase, it is right, conveys more than just the appropriateness. It's not just right as in it would be the appropriate thing, but it expresses more of a 
a moral and, and spiritual rightness. Not merely that which is expected, but that which is required. There is something of an obligation. He is bound by obligation because of all that those in Philippi have done for him. And not just for him, but for God. That They were doing these things not just for Paul, not just out of their love for Paul, but they were doing it out of their commitment, their love, their obedience to God the Father. So, in effect, it was right before men and before God that Paul should feel this way about the believers in Philippi. In the King James and the New King James, it sheds a little light on this word about feel. In uh, the English Standard Version, it says, it's right that I feel this way about you, but perhaps a, a misnomer there, a better translation actually may be, it is right for me to think this of you. That's what the King James, New King James says, it is right for me to think this of you because the word is hard to translate uh, from the original because it really is kind of a, a dual sense it's not just cognitive it's not just mental but yet it includes that but then again it's not just emotion it's not just feeling there is a consciousness an awareness a, a definitive decision to feel this way and so it really encompasses both. And so neither translation is wrong, but it really kind of takes both to fully represent what that word might mean. It is right for me to feel this way. It is right for me to think this way. And uh, in our current vernacular, the, the best that I could come up with was something like when we make statements like that I think kindly of them. Well, we are encompassing both the conscious mental aspect of thinking of you, but then we include the emotional aspect of kindness, that we think kindly of you. Or similarly, I think fondly of you. And so it includes both the mind and the emotion. And so Paul says here, it is right for me to think this of you. And I like that a little better in this context because in some ways it makes a little more sense when you add the next phrase for he says it is right for me to think this of you and then he comes along with the emotional side because I hold you in my heart. I think fondly of you. I am affectionate towards you. I am thankful for you because I hold you in my heart. And so we see clearly in that, that passage that Paul has a great affection and respect for the believers at Philippi because they were not just religious people, but they actually put their faith into action. Uh, Matthew made reference earlier as he shared with us some historical aspects of the church of Philippi that those who cared for Paul were those among the believers who actually reached out and, and did things for Paul, who cared for him, who sought to meet his needs. They provided 
for him. And so they put their faith into action. They were not those who just simply heard the word, but they were doers of the word. And so it is in that that Paul had great affection for them. And again, I think his affection grew not just out of the fact that they had done things for him. I'm sure he appreciated that. But he, he admired them for the very fact that they were not just hearers of the word, but he saw them as maturing, growing Christians who were hearing the word, who were ingesting and taking in the word, and then actually carrying it out. They were living out the gospel. They were living out their Christianity. They were making it real in the lives of others and particularly in the life of Paul. And so he had a great affection for them and respect, no doubt, because they had become doers of the word and they were putting their faith into action. He felt this way about them. He says, because they are partakers with him. I, it is right that I feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. And so here he is clarifying that these at Philippi had become partners in ministry with him. They were partners, co-workers. They shared the mantle of ministry with Paul. No doubt they didn't see it as his ministry, but they saw it more as our ministry. That Paul was leading the ministry, but they were carrying it out. Think about it. He's writing this while in prison. Now, we see from Paul's writings that he didn't stop ministering simply because he was in prison. Quite the contrary, we see evidence that he continued to share the gospel even with the soldiers who were around him, other prisoners. He continued to share the gospel, but let's face it, he was a little uh, constrained in his ability. But not constrained for those who were outside the prison. Those who were his co-workers, those who were his partners in ministry. They were able to continue to carry forth the message they were able to continue it wasn't like well paul's in jail we'll just have to all sit back and wait till he gets out before we can continue no they saw themselves as co-workers as as partners in this ministry with paul he was the leader but they in effect were the workers they were the ones who were carrying out the ministry we see evidence of the same concept in uh New Testament tells us that you know God has given us leaders to train the saints to do the work of ministry. And so it is that the ministry really doesn't take place up here so much as it does out there. And so all of us are co-workers. All of us should be sharing in the ministry. We should be partners in the ministry. And so it was with Paul. He saw that it was right that he should feel this way about them because they were partakers. They were partners in his ministry. They actively shared, that key word, actively shared in the work of spreading the gospel. While Paul was the leader, they didn't see that everything rested with him. 
They saw that the responsibility lay with them as well and that just the fact that he was in jail did not stop the ministry. They saw their role, their part, their responsibility as partners with him in ministry that they were to continue on with the ministry even though Paul was in prison. And so he says it is right that I should feel this way about you. And it's the reason that I hold you in my heart is because you are partakers with me in this ministry. You are doing the work that God has called us all to do. This word grace there, we many times, particularly those of us who have experienced grace in our lives and we have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ we see grace oftentimes associated with the uh, unfounded forgiveness of our sin and so it is but the more rudimentary elemental meaning of the word grace is to show favor the receiving the favor of God but sometimes we misunderstand or we see only part of the picture because you see grace certainly is about our forgiveness it is about God showing his favor to us and unmerited grace to forgive our sins that is most assuredly grace but that's only part of the picture you see because grace truly in its complete fulfillment is doesn't stop there you see grace God pours out on us, not just for our benefit, but that we might then in turn show grace, demonstrate grace to others. That we might take that grace that we have received and that we might then turn around and share the gospel, the good news with other people. That we don't just receive grace and say, thank you God for saving me now. I'm just going to sit here for a while and wait for you to come back. I can't wait. No, what he says is, I have shown you grace and mercy. I have forgiven you of your sins. Now go out and tell others about what has happened in your life. Let them know the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is grace and mercy available to them, that they can too have their sins forgiven. And so it is in that that Paul here says, that I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace. And he's saying that you not only have received that grace yourself and are, are living it out, but that you actually are putting it into action and you're doing the other part of grace. You've not just received it yourself, but you are continuing the ministry of sharing the gospel, of spreading the gospel, the good news that grace is available to others as well, not just that you are consumers you're not just taking the grace, but you are taking that grace and then you're turning it around and you are sharing that good news with other people. You are partakers with me of grace. And he goes on, he says, Because you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Because they shared in his ministry. They were engaged in the ministry. 
You see, they kept up with him and wanted to know what was going on with him and with his ministry. They were engaged. They were active. It wasn't just Paul's off over there in jail somewhere. I hope he's doing okay. But they continued to engage with him. And no doubt, I'm sure that as they engaged with him, as they communicated with him, as a leader, he was probably saying, okay, now, like, you know, we got work to do. There's ministry to be done. We got to share the gospel. I'm glad all y'all came to see me. All right, let's kind of talk about, you know, who's going to do what? Who's going to go visit these people? Who's going to go talk to these people? The ministry continued because they were partners. They shared in the ministry. They were engaged and they kept up with Paul. They kept up with his needs and they ministered first to him. They provided for his needs. And then they took their marching orders to continue the ministry. They were invested in the ministry. I I feel like sometimes that there are ministries, local ministries, churches and stuff, that I wonder that if the pastor went away, for whatever reason, they leave, they die, whatever. If the pastor went away, would the ministry continue? You see, that's a terrible thing because, as I said earlier, the ministry shouldn't just be taking place up here. The ministry really should be taking place out there. And so if the ministry dies with the pastor, then there's something unhealthy about that church. Because the pastor may be the leader, but the ministry should go on because the ministry should be far bigger than the pastor. And so I want us to think about that in terms of our own church. That is the ministry taking place because I'm here? Or would the ministry continue on? Are there those of you who have such a passion that you are so invested in the ministry, that you are so engaged in the ministry, that whether I was here or not, the ministry would go on? Now behind the scenes, I have challenged some of our young people to begin to think in those terms that where do you see this church three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, because you are the future of our church. And if it's going to survive, if it's going to thrive, if it's going to be here in years to come, then it's up to you. And so the question is that if I were not here, Would the ministry go on? Are you engaged enough? Are you invested enough in the ministry that it would carry on? And so you begin to understand and appreciate what Paul was going through as he sat there trapped in the prison, probably wondering those same things. All of this work that he has done, all that he has done, he's poured himself out to create and develop this ministry. And God has used him mightily. And he's sitting there probably in this jail, wondering, was it all for naught? Now that I sit here and and I've been unplugged, will the ministry go on or will it die? And so as he saw these people at Philippi who were engaged, who were active, who were invested, 
continue to carry on the ministry, ministering to Him and continuing to spread the gospel, he must have been delighted. He was full of joy because he realized that it was not for nothing that those people there were invested, that they were engaged, that they saw the need for them to continue on with the ministry. And so he was joyful. He delighted in that. As he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because I see that you get it. That the success, the life of the ministry does not rest solely with me as Paul, but that whether I live or die, whether I'm in prison or not, the ministry will go on. And so he was joyful. They were invested in the ministry, financially and emotionally. You see, it wasn't only Paul who longed to see the fruit of the ministry. He wasn't the only one that was looking around for opportunities to share the gospel. He wasn't the only one who was concerned about whether the ministry was being effective or not. You see, these other people, these other believers at Philippi had caught the bug they got it. They understood how important the ministry was and that it had gone well beyond just Paul the man. But this, this was a ministry of God and that all of them played a part in that. They were all partners along with Paul in that ministry. And if for some reason he or any of the others got unplugged and became unavailable, then that was sad, but the ministry must go on. So they became something of warriors. They were truly partakers with Paul in the grace, the spreading of the gospel, the good news. They longed along with Paul to see the fruits of the ministry. It wasn't just Paul looking at the ministry and you know, sending out a report periodically and saying, you know, well, we've had X number of new people join and we've had these people leave and we've got this pocket of people now in our community who, you know, we need to try to find a way to strategically reach out to them. It wasn't him doing that. It was all the other people because they longed to see the fruit of the ministry. And part of what they did was they encouraged Paul and they supported his efforts. They met his needs. Oh yeah, they had done much for Paul personally and to support his ministry. You may recall a couple of weeks ago we had a message entitled The Joy of Ministry Partnership. It focused on verse 5 of the first chapter of Philippians. And there it said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so Paul made clear that he recognized those at the church of Philippi as partners with him. They were working alongside him to achieve the mission that God had placed before them. We see further evidence in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. A little later on, 
there Paul writes and says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. They're sharing not only in the good stuff, but they're sharing in the not-so-good stuff. They're sharing in the good times and the bad times. He says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so they have stepped up. They are sharing with Him in the trouble. They are partnering with Him in the ministry, in the giving, and in the work. They are partnering with Him. I think there is just a special bond that forms between those who endure hardship. Those who endure struggles together. Those who suffer together. There is a a special bond that develops. (coughs) I think of it as battle buddies. If any of you have ever served in the military or you know someone who has, those who've actually experienced combat together for years Maybe the rest of their life, they have a special bond with those with whom they shared a foxhole. They faced death together. They faced hardship together. Going into that situation, who knows? I I dare say there are probably countless stories out there of people who prior to that experience under any other normal circumstances, probably couldn't have stood each other. Personality conflicts from different places in the country, from different cultures, who knows? But under any other circumstances, they may not have been able to stand each other. But they find themselves in the midst of combat, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of a struggle, and they become best of friends for the rest of their life. They care about one another. They keep up with one another. And so it is as well with those who experience a crisis or disaster. Those who work in disaster situations, people who work with the Red Cross and and other disaster relief organizations, those volunteers, those people love each other because they've been in the trenches together. They've faced trouble together. And then there are also those disaster survivors who it would seem that when you've experienced a disaster, then you build a certain bond with those who shared that experience with you. And so I think when we work together, when we make a commitment that I'm going to be there not only in the good times, but I'm going to be there in the bad times, I'm going to rejoice and enjoy the good stuff but I'm also going to be there to roll up my sleeves and work hard when it's necessary to see the ministry continue those sorts of things build bonds not only in the community but in the church but I read the story recently I wanted to just share it with you as a article that appeared in the Orlando Sentinel back in 2002 It's called Survivors of Disaster Bond Create a Community. 
Let me share this with you and you'll get the sense of what I'm talking about. The writer here says, A few vacant lots where houses once stood are the last reminders of the killer tornado that ripped through the Hyde Park mobile home community four years ago this Friday, which would have been actually 1998, given the date of this article. Disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, fires, floods, even terrorism attacks destroy places. But in their immediate wake, they create the true meaning of community. In the minutes after the tornado hit Hyde Park on February 22, 1998, there were neighbors meeting for the first time, people helping people, strangers befriending strangers. Everybody was pitching in to help. They were looking after each other, said John Harriman, 72, former homeowner association president. On Hyde Park Circle across the street from empty lot 130, Ed White took four people into his home, including two neighbors he had never met before. Next door to lot 130, Helen Montgomery collected phone numbers from survivors so she would call family members and tell them that their relatives were all right or on the way to the hospital. On Royal View Circle, a stranger from down the street comforted Carol Cox after she was helped down from the roof of a neighbor's house where she and her husband Bill landed when their home was lifted into the air and blown to pieces. The same disaster dynamic was found in New York when office workers risked their lives to help strangers down the stairs of the World Trade Center. And in the acts of the heroism and compassion after Hurricane Andrew flattened Homestead in 1992, and then there is the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. <coughs> Disasters have a way of peeling away the routine of daily life to reveal amid all the sorrow and destruction what truly makes us human. When we experience this involvement with others, I think we feel our humanity, one man said. Disaster psychologists describe the transformation that takes place after a tragedy as the community of sufferers. All the things that normally estrange neighbors from one another disappear in a disaster, as if torn into pieces and carried away by the wind, replacing the petty disputes over dog poop in the yard and loud parties, is the intense, common experience of having survived a life-threatening situation. One of the things that promotes a sense of community is when people have shared values that supersede any other values, that's what comes to the foreground in times of crisis. Just as tornadoes rip away walls to reveal what's inside a person's house, disasters also open people to sharing thoughts, feelings, and fears they wouldn't normally confide. An intimacy that didn't exist before the disaster is left behind after the danger departs. You can't tell by looking that Montgomery's house had been riddled by rocks, lost part of its roof and had shards of window glass sticking into the walls like a dartboard. Everything has been repaired and put back into place. The only souvenir that she kept from the tornado is a bedroom alarm clock. 
She cut off the cord and set it on a shelf in her living room beside her daughter's wedding photo and a crystal apple from her days as a teacher. The hands of the clock are forever frozen at 11.46 p.m. The exact time a tornado tore apart a mobile home park and built a community. And so it is that it is in the struggles, it's in the battles, it's in the trenches, it's in the foxholes, it's in the disasters and the crises that we need each other. See, anybody is willing to be there in the good times. What we really need is for those who will be there in the tough times. Later in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27, Paul says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, Let me hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He goes on in verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but that you should also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. He's calling them to partnership in ministry. The partaking of the grace, the partaking of that mantle of ministry you should not only believe in Him, but that you also should suffer for His sake and that you should engage. You see those active words? You should engage in the same conflict that you saw I had. And then finally in verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And the example they were setting was one of engagement and commitment. They were in the trenches. They were willing to give it all. Paul was all in. We see this in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 17. Note what he says here. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. He's willing to pour himself out. He's willing to give it all for the sake of the ministry. And so it is with all of us. God wants each of us to be willing to give our all for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of spreading the gospel. If it's not that, then why are we here? What other purpose could the church possibly have than to minister to one another and to carry forth the torch of the gospel. He wants more than just your Sunday morning. He wants more than your money dropped in the bucket. He wants more than a fish on your car and a cross around your neck. He wants your life. He wants your life. Romans chapter 12 makes this clear as 
There the Apostle Paul as well is writing and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul said to the Philippian believers, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. And I hold you in my heart. Why does he hold them in his heart? Why does he give thanks for them? Why does he have such an impassioned gratitude for those believers at Philippi? He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. I'm not alone. I may be sitting in a prison. I may be chained up, but I realize that I am not alone. I'm not alone in prison, and I'm not alone in my efforts to spread the gospel. I'm not alone in my efforts of ministry because I have partners in the gospel I hold you in my heart because of your partnership in the gospel and because you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation, the carrying out of the ministry, the confirmation of the gospel. Paul had great affection for the believers at Philippi because they worked with him. They worked alongside him. They partnered with him and they actively engaged in the work of spreading the gospel. So how about you? Where do you fall on that continuum? Are you just saved and sat down, just waiting on the glorious return of Christ? Or are you somewhere on that spectrum saying that, I want to be like that? I want to be like those people. Do you feel a sense of challenge? And are you willing to accept the challenge to be like those believers at Philippi? Partakers of grace. Let's pray. Father, we have a responsibility as believers, those who have accepted your free gift of salvation that we have a responsibility to take that message to take that word of forgiveness of grace and mercy to a lost world 